back to back to distanced communication. Wow, I think that was too too much for your microphone. Whatever ungodly, un unhuman, ghastly noise you just produced. You can't handle a zooey mama. Oh, is that what you were saying? Yeah, come on. Yeah, no, no your mic, your mic, it it clipped. It did not pick it up. Oh, that's unfortunate. I kind of backed out there. It's like my beatboxing all over again. Oh yeah, do you do you listen back to that episode and heard the uh, <laughs> that the beatboxing was oh, like clipping? Oh, you out? gotta you gotta listen back so we of can course. be like, wow, what what terrible filler we are adding into these episodes. There's almost more us and ums than there is movie talk in these episodes. Oh please, Godim, and I know get him, get him with the Godim. Elliot often takes takes Gaga uh, takes Gaga. issue with some of the stuff that I leave in. Like hey. them running off to finish up their beef stew. Look, I can't complain because you do all the work of editing. So, you right. know, it's uh, yeah, exactly win some, lose some. Yeah. And I got to witness their beef stew process just mm. this last week because we were together. And the movies that we we're going to talk about tonight, we watched on the same sofa together. OMG, Grunkle. Don't tell them how we make the sausage. It's our but, sausage. It's a secret. Well, I filmed the whole thing and I'm releasing it as a meta transmedia podcast film hybrid called oh. Grunk Grunk Grunkago. Wow. A nephew's personal journey. Um that's the subtitle. And that's a good one. Yeah, thanks. It's it's been workshopped over and over again and focus groups and testing it uh, with kid appeal if the kids react to the buzzwords you know mm. lots of studies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but no yeah we, i visited the great city of chicago drove a whole long way to get there and drove a whole long way back um and we could have watched more movies you know yeah we could have we should have watched all that jazz yeah we should have watched all that jazz Oh, it's a good movie. I need to see that again. You should have let me borrow it. No, I've, I've, my cotsies have been, I've, I've already gone are the gone are the days where you lend out Criterion discs. Exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, it was my fault that I left. No, I mean it was a it was a learning experience, and it's good to know that you're. Or did you you ask me to leave? An an obsessive materialist. Yeah, I asked you to leave it. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, we're doing what we do best, which is not talk about movies. It's digress and get orf torpic, orf torpic, orf torpic. So this week we watched Rat Race. We watched Happiness, and we watched um, lots of shoe nice and man versus food. That was those things were just you actually. I was I was uh engaged otherwise when you did those things. What we actually watched was Nashville, blah, blah, a blah. brighter summer's day, or it's just brighter summer day, not a brighter summer's day, just brighter summer day. And Death to Smoochie. What's really interesting about these movies that we watch is that it goes is that they're they're all great, fantastic. No, movies. no, no, no. And it goes from the worst no. movie we watched this week to the best movie we watched this week. 
with Nashville being, you know, a solid, Stop. you know, solid Stop outing. Stop what you're doing. It's not Brighter fun. Summer Day being a monolith of of uh, of cinema, and Death to Smoochie being the the pinnacle of craft. You're cute. But we'll, we'll, we'll what, you think it. you're cute? You think you're cute? You think you're funny? Uh, like. You think you're like a little monkey on the street that dances for coins, and it's like, oh, so cute. I know what I know. I know what I know. I know what (laughs) I know. Sounds like a sounds like you got quite the ego, nephew. Oh yeah, you could learn a lot from your uncle. Yeah, I could learn a lot from your from your uh, your from C-SPAN watching time, Mm. and from mm, and from oldies oldies jams hour. And my oh, yeah. hard, my hard candies. Yeah, more like your hard on grunkle. Oh my god, that inappropriate way to talk about your great uncle. Well, why don't you? Why don't you go? Uh, well, why why don't, don't you? I tell you about when I was fifteen and spent the summer in Nashville. Yeah, why don't you do that? I'm gonna get a glass of water, and you can you can just wax poetic about this about this foggy music you like so much. Yeah, it's Robert Altman, folks. <laughs> With this 1975 American epic, Nashville, Ooh. Robert Altman doing what he does best with a large ensemble of characters weaving in and out of a single thread that all comes to sort of depict a larger fabric of Americana and American politic, an American politic that in starting in the 1950s really is when it starts getting rolling, but by the 1970s is disseminating itself into all aspects of American culture, disseminated through music, through its own myth making, its own image creation through microphones and cameras and pop stars and people just trying to make a buck. And it's this tapestry of the good, the bad, and the ugly of a new American life all told through this microcosm that is Nashville, Tennessee, and the music industry. Um, And it's all these little fragments of these characters ranging from the seemingly insignificant to those that are running a presidential campaign, which the campaign itself almost becomes the forefront of this picture as this truck constantly drives all around the city into all the different venues that we go hopping around um, as it blares out media propaganda in support of the replacement party candidate. What's his name, nephew? Give him their name. Give them, give them his name. I don't remember. Yeah, me neither. Hal Philip Walker. There you go. 1976 United States presidential candidate. Um, 
And the film ultimately culminates in a fundraising gala for Hal Philip Walker. And it is met with um, violence and assassination. Um, a man with a briefcase or a, a, a musical instrument case is fiddle as we're led to believe throughout this entire film, one of the fragmented characters brings a gun to this gala, uh, which is headlined by another one of our main characters, Barbara Jean, who is sort of the, almost like Loretta Lynn character, like the face of Nashville musical culture and output. Um, and he guns her down. And it all, yeah, it's just this sort of big big indictment of uh, where America was at in the 70s, this this um, conservative, neoliberal uh, runaway snowball of just uh, dysfunctional politics and it getting itself all over the place as it spills. Um, but also it's just, con it's like... <laughs> Half of the goddamn movie is just um, performances, musical performances. And so it's like there's this clear reverence for the music depicted, uh, even when it's sort of like this tongue in cheek cornball version of it. Um, clear, clear, like respect and love for country music and using that as a vehicle for indictment of uh, an American politic on the whole. I love this movie. It's. It's right up my alley in a lot of ways. I love Robert Altman. I love a lot of the um, filmmaking techniques, uh, practical techniques that he uses in this film and in his other films, like live performances and um, cluttered mass-recorded dialogue that he pumps into scenes that makes them feel lived in outside of mm. the frame oh okay so when robert altman does it it's lived in but when ken russell and patty shayevsky do it it's joe rogan-esque excuse me crunkle was my issue that there was off-screen dialogue and <laughs> i'm just busting your balls crunkle jeez calm down all right <laughs> i know you go colonize tennessee but yeehaw yeehaw yeah, my, my yankee ass yeah, your Yankee ass, right? You're there's, you're there's like you're fetishizing the American South here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, you and Bob Dylan, bro. There's just so many. <laughs> there's just so many characters in this movie too. Like I didn't touch upon really any of them other than Tom. Tom. Barbara what Jean. about Tom? What's Tom up to this whole movie? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, you want to tell all the people what Tom is up to? Tom is a fucking evil little slut, and he's going around. <laughs> seducing many women across nashville most yeah. of whom are married he's a he's a no good adulterer that tom boy howdy yeah yeah he's he sleeps around the whole damn city of nashville um, yeah definitely and then you have characters like jeff goldblum who is this like oh folkloric drifter who like doesn't say anything but performs a little magic tricks yeah uh, it, roger robert not roger robert altman does such a great job you know building um building a world here and it's it's really interesting when um interesting when a world that is 
so grounded in reality is able to be kind of mythologized in the way that it is throughout this movie. And yeah, it's interesting the way that he kind of is able to integrate these ideas, the, this myth of culture and the myth of value, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And kind of imposing those together and examining the current moment at the time. Yeah. It was really interesting. And it was certainly, um, uh, the, the many of the music performances I found very welcome too, because of how meandering and how much like kind of soft action is going on in the movie. There isn't a ton that's necessarily uh, pushing the plot forward that the musical interludes are kind of welcome breaks. Yeah. Connective tissue. Yeah. But I, I feel like I would almost prefer it if it was like the other way around, you know what I mean? Mm. That, that the scenes could have been the connective tissue that they could have held a little more weight and that a little bit more of that could have come through, you know, because I don't, I think that some of the satire in this movie is a little too, a little, a little too beneath the surface. Satire of like of the music think, scene or of like American culture on the whole. I think both, Pro- both probably right? mostly yeah. American culture. Like in terms of like, I don't know. I feel like you were like kind of, pointing out the product placement here and there, but it never really seemed like it was doing enough of it to, to make a statement of it necessarily. And it is, it is so interesting too, that, you know, he chose to use entirely original music. And I, I wonder maybe those lyrics are examined a little deeper. What is that really saying oh, about yeah. the scene as well? You know, so. Well, that, I I think know, that I, opening, that opening song is a great little satire. Um, of like the zealous kind of uh pop produced country of like uh 200 years that, yeah the, the yeah and, and 200 suppose... years of american uh supremacy yeah and here's to another 200 years of american supremacy you were like yeehaw let's go yeah. you were loving it yeah um and i i guess that the uh the british reporter character is quite the insufferable fuck quite intentionally but I don't know. I feel like uh, feel like this movie didn't didn't quite rock me all the way through. Um, maybe yeah. it was also my my sickly state in watching it. Sick. Oh, your tummy. Yeah. My yeah. my rumblous tumblus. Um, and I think in in terms of some of the more like soft plot meandering stuff, um. I think that's mostly just a product of like the 70s new Hollywood cinema um, like drifter mode and like this apolitical malaise used to make political statement. But yeah, the film, it's like sort of this um, not necessarily ambiguous, but like the D the the politicizing through depoliticizing almost and making everything intentionally in the background almost. Yeah. And I think also, you know, because of that, maybe its message doesn't always get across on a surface level first viewing. But then on the other hand, like that truck is so in your face the entire time and like all of the, all of the, uh, yeah, but it's so in your face that you like tune it out. You know, it's like yeah. at that point where it's it, at, at a certain point, like we were watching the movie. I was like, 
I don't even understand, like, what is the purpose of this presidential election that's going on? And it really, it, it kind of seems to exist as like this self-serving political insert for the movie, where like the fact that there is this election happening and that there's this kind of third party candidate gathering steam in Nashville as like a backdrop for the, like, that's like the political campaign is almost the backdrop for the music festival, not the other way around. Right. And it, and it feels so much like, uh, like that, that is almost more the movie he's more interested in making, but not the thing he's focusing on at all. And so it just feels like it's kind of inserted just kind of dropped into everything else that's going on and then that is kind of like oh there's the justification for the murder at the end you know so i don't know i, I feel like it wasn't yeah didn't entirely i feel like the way the way through in my yeah, opinion the way you're describing it is exactly the reason i like it i feel yeah it's yeah, like well, right I, in that sweet spot of of almost seeming insignificant but uh, like tying the whole thing together yeah i mean i feel like he does a really good job of like kind of towing the line of the inevitable yet unexpected sure right and it, i mean that's a perfect way to describe how this film ends i think yeah because it is inevitable and of and course uh, this comes at uh towards the end um, actually, oh, really? still rather in the middle of a period of a of American culture of extreme political violence, especially that of assassination, which now we mostly mostly see mass shootings now, as opposed to the single political target. Yeah, you know, it's just easier to just kill uh, kill people who are you know within arm's reach. Yeah, right. So you still make the same splash right these days with the the tiktoks and the iphones and you can make anything news we let's let's watch you should be the robert altman for 2023 i am the robert altman of 2023 you should make you should make your nashville what city would you do des moines iowa wow des moines do it des moines iowa yeah let's go baby Nashville for the Z generation. Mm. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, chicken noodle. But yeah, I love love Altman, love Nashville. I don't Good know. Stuff. I I want to watch shortcuts. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I I don't know if he's quite uh because McCabe and Mrs. Miller wasn't goo goo crazy about. That's an all timer for me. But I mean, like. They're good movies. They're good movies. That might be a movies. top ten for me. Okay, been wow, movie. that's nuts. That's yeah. kind of nuts for me. Especially with the songs of Leonard Cohen soundtrack. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I just I don't know. I don't entirely vibe with the kind of quasi symbolism of it all. You know, like where the plot is like it feels very like allegorical. His it is, of course, know. it is. I don't know. Allegories are stinky sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he wields them with such beauty. Like it's like they can almost be like dehumanizing. Sure. Because because your characters become stand-ins for ideas and then they stop being people. Yeah, but I think he's I think he's hits the the sweet spot where they're the perfect amount of both. Right. Yeah. 
I can I can uh, appreciate that interpretation, and I think I need to to explore his work further before making that judgment call for myself. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but you know, made more movies than I probably will. So fuck me, am I right? No, you'll surpass him for sure, especially after you get Des Moines out. This you'll, That's you'll true. get you're on right. a hot streak. My Nashville ripoff. Here I am shitting on him. Shitting, yeah. <laughs> Here I am utterly destroying Robert Roger Altman. Roger Altman. And I'm gonna I'm gonna rip off I'm gonna rip off his movie with uh with my own. Yeah. And I right, won't let's, credit him. Let's I won't move credit on. him. Let's We're move gonna move on. on. Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Um. Next movie we watched was Edward Yang's A Brighter Summer Day. Edward Yang, you know him, you love him. Made the greatest movie of all time. Yee yee. Yeah. Um. Here I am, you know, stating things that are facts, and Gunkle yeah. is trying to refute me. Yeah. We know, listeners. We we won't let him get to us. We won't let him get to us with his blasphemous, devilish ideas. But. We should focus on the movie, not not the dissenting voice of Grunkle. Now, should we? Um, a Brighter Summer's Day was made by Edward Yang nine, ten years, nine years before Yi in 1991. Set in 1960s Taiwan. It focuses on the life of Xiao Sir. Um, who is, uh, is, which is a nickname for Little Four, as he is the fourth child of his parents who have fled mainland China um, in uh, an attempt to escape communism and seek independence in the new nation of Taiwan. Um, in this time of civil unrest and uncertainty, the anxiety of the parents and the adults of the world was passed on to the children. And this anxiety drives them to form gangs. And the first part of this film focuses on the many different gangs that are running the streets of Taiwan. Most uh, children or, you know, adolescent young adults, uh, most in night school, with insufficient exam scores to get into the more prestigious day schools. Um, yeah, Zhao Sir is kind of, you know, hanging out with his homies, doing some light to mild gang banging, some, some no goodery. Uh, and eventually he uh, forms a very close friendship with Ming. Um, Ming is the girlfriend of the leader of the gang he is associated with. Honey is his name, but Honey is on the run because he killed one of the members of the white shirt gang. I don't remember what they were actually called. The 217 boys. That's I'm very glad they had different costumes. Yeah, they had, they had different. So I could, tell, had... So I could tell the gangs apart. It oh, went a well, long way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, well, I feel like I feel like gangs always have uniforms, you know, yeah, it's of part of being in a gang. Um, well, not like we would know. Uh, maybe, huh. maybe you would know. You're in you some don't know sort about of, my younger days. Yeah, you're you're colonizing gangs, right? Oh, Where you guys like go around. To, yeah. Colonizing gang. You know, I just gotta I just gotta take I gotta take the punches where I can find them, you know. 
you're giving punches. You're not taking anything. I take the opportunities to throw the punches is what I mean when I say giving punches or taking punches. You know what I mean. Mm. Aggressive digression. You know the routine, Grunkle. Aggressive digression. Exactly. But um, anyway, Shouser is macking on Ming, who's Honey's girlfriend. But Honey's out of the picture. Um, this kind of, you know, comes to a head when Honey re-enters the picture and then Honey kind of rejects Ming and then Ming really leans on Zhao Sir and then Zhao Sir is beefing in school. And so, you know, he, uh, he and the kid he's fighting with, they both end up getting expelled over multiple instances of fighting each other. Zhao Sir finally gets expelled when he, uh, attacks his principal. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, things in this movie, it's like the tension keeps building in a sense. It keeps building and deflating and building and deflating. And we just have this general feeling of unrest and discomfort throughout the whole film. As, you know, these these teenagers, when you're already in a point in life where you're so deeply seeking identity... And then we also have this nation that's fighting for independence and seeking its own identity. And the way that Edward Yang's environments reflect the action and how he so beautifully portrays and communicates that so much of who we are as people is the way we live and how we live and the world around us and how you can't always escape that. You know, it really is just, man, he... He really nails it across the board. Um, there's so many little details, um, little scenes that go into, you know, the world building, character building as we meet many different members of these different gangs. And, you know, as they hold concerts to try to make money and they sing, you know, they sing like Beach Boys and Elvis songs. Um, oh, man, beautiful movie. And it's really kind of slice of lifey domestic um, all this to say, in the final moments of the film, Xiao Sir has been expelled and is studying really hard to get into day school, um, which is something that he thought he was going to get into earlier when his parents were working with this government official guy. But then they kind of get found out and there's this whole interrogation scene. There's a lot going on in this movie. Like I said, it's four fucking hours long. It's a long time to it's a long time, but it's worth every minute. So he's studying to get into day school, and his girlfriend and him aren't seeing each other very often. Ming, right? Because Ming has kind of, you know, gotten over her tumultuous past with Honey and has really embraced Zhao Sir as her, you know, partner. And I mean, you know, as much as, you know, you can, you know, uh, be partnered with your your high school crush. Um, anyway, Shouser finds out that Ming is kind of macking on his best friend now. And there's this tension between him and the best friend. And you really think it's going to come to a head, especially when Shouser arms himself. But then it's Ming who he ends up attacking and murdering in the middle of the street and after she falls to the ground he collapses and screams begs her to get up not entirely uh, realizing what he's done it's devastating devastating Ugh. uncle Truly. just woke up from his nap did he miss anything 
Yeah, you know, you just missed uh, another another faultless epic from Edward Yang. You know, my second. Nothing, nothing you him. can't text over. Your second from from my second, yeah, from the I'm, maestro himself. I'm probably gonna watch Taipei Story as soon as we're done with this because I'm just so jazzed on Edward Yang. He might be my favorite filmmaker now, honestly. Two know. movies. Yeah, they're two. They're two top twenty fivers. You know, you got number one and. I would put a brighter summer day definitely top fifty without hesitation, if not top twenty-five. I love the gumption. Listen, listen, listen. Yeah, but this was a pretty quality, stunning, quality over quantity. Pretty stunning yeah. film. I need to blow um, my nose. Go blow your nose. Yeah, yeah. Um, just expertly composed every frame, every little camera movement. Um, I feel like Yee Yee. Is sort of a film of reflections and of trying to capture what we cannot see and really? what we do not see. And this almost has more of a aesthetic of looking in and looking through. Um, there's a lot of flashlights and thin curtains. And um, there's a lot of Japanese houses that these characters live in um, because of uh, Japanese officers building them during the Second World War. And um, Japanese domestic architecture has a lot of like slats and spaces where you can see into that sort of create this fluidity between interior and exterior. And so there's like so much of looking into this movie and so much of flashlights in the dark illuminating things um and yeah i don't know just like uh lots of gazing and um lots of looking into the past a historical past of a second world war and of um a national civil war in china and now there's these combating factions within Taiwan itself, those that are sort of more pro-Chinese and those that are not in this newly formed nation and all this American influence coming in and all, yeah, culminating in this like impossibly sometimes small story that um, is given such gravitas, both in just its monumental length, but also in how much care and humanity um and overwhelming emotions without ever ever aesthetically or narratively falling into melodrama which nothing wrong with melodrama of course no, and of course it not. is melodrama as genre but when something is so calculated and sometimes almost distanced um it's impossible to even or like melodrama would ruin such an environment, but it doesn't even really happen in this. And part of that is there's a complete absence of score. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like he really relies on diegetic sound yeah. throughout yeah. his films. Um, yeah, I I think that like a a score like like almost like this calculated underscoring. I feel like would 
would throw it off you know what yeah, i mean like sure. his he is creating like he's creating a world that is almost identical to reality it feels like you know what i mean that that it, that he has put so much detail and intention and truth into what he's creating that that it could be indistinguishable from reality you know i mean it, it can be hard to say because i'm not as in tune with the reality that he's you know producing because i you know was not alive in taiwan in the 1960s but this movie can make me feel like i was you know what i mean and and while i feel people say that about a lot of movies like very few movies can really actually do it yeah very and, transportive and edward yang he can do it he can yeah. do it whenever he wants edward yeah. yang has a hall pass you know open season you know what to i'm saying do, to do whatever whatever whenever wherever just in terms of like making movies yeah yeah not like committing crimes or anything or doing no that. no no not no not that well th the way you're saying no it sounds like you don't actually mean it hall pass mm, i don't like this whole hall pass thing i'm gonna i throw it out you're rescinding edward yang's hall pass i won't have it he can have a filmmaker's hall pass well he's dead yeah <laughs> he's dead sorry and Tough. um it, it there's definitely a lot that feels um like he's pulling from experience um but i which i have no idea if that's true or not i don't know what his upbringing was like um well what i think it was well, one is gets that the sense he... of that because it's such a I think that he like really just thought of like every kid he knew growing up, like every yeah. person he knew growing up and like, like brought them to life. Like not yeah. just like one or two of these characters are fleshed out real human beings, like every single fucking one of them, you know, like even the secondary characters who have minor arcs throughout the piece, like it all makes sense. It's, it's all, you know, perfectly escalated, perfectly spaced out, perfectly yeah punctuated the whole thing it's like there's this um this idea i don't know where it originates from i should do more research maybe i don't know it's it's from a certain eastern philosophy as terribly generic as that sounds of that my uh one of my theaters introduced me to it's called joe ha q and the idea is like beginning middle end right so it's like the joe is the beginning ha the middle the q the end but within the Joe of the Joe Ha Q, there is a Joe Ha Q, right? So within the beginning, there is a beginning, a middle, and an end. But then within the beginning of the beginning, there's a beginning and a middle of an end. And it's like really about how specific can you make every action, every transition, every migration of thought. And it's when you can connect all those moments, all these infinitely scaling, infinitely deep moments that you can create something that feels like it transcends just a beginning, a middle, and an end. And man, a, a Nashville man, just does it got, so. Oh bad. my god! A Nashville oh just god. really nails that to a T. I agree, man. That that's that's profound, really. Podcast um, over. <laughs> podcast over. Podcast over. <laughs> no, but I think uh, Edward Yang. I think that's actually. Quite the apt um, little reference there. Little, uh, 
Yeah. So shout out to Golsh for that one. Yeah. Thanks, Golsh. Always in my heart. Rest in peace. Golsh is alive. Ah, shit. My bad. Bit of an L, Crunk. That's a bit of an L. All right. Edward Yang, Robert Altman. See you in heaven. Based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. This my shit. There's a one scene in Yee Not Yee Jesus. In Brighter Summer Day. Yee Where um the white shirts are the walking... two the two one seven boys. Are yeah, the two one seven boys are walking away after a confrontation with the beige shirts. And um the little their, part game. Their method of their method of exiting the scene is walking down this road that um stretches from the foreground all the way into the the horizon line. And Yang just leaves the camera on the scene where there was just a kerfuffle and you watch the two one seven boys like walk the entire distance and they're in the frame for the entire ensuing scene because uh, he doesn't cut away. Um, and I, oof, that was a particularly beautiful shot that I happened to that stuck with me. That and a lot of the uh, scenes with a flashlight. There's a scene where yeah, juicy flash. So sure, what's his name? Chow sir, Chow sir, and May Chow sir are Chow, sir. are in this. Uh, there's this recurring, as Edward Yang loves to do. He has some references films. No, making. no, he doesn't um, love to do that. And he hates, actually, he only does it for you. There's a he hates it. movie studio. Well, thank you, Edward Yang, for doing something. <laughs> never did anything for my nephew. Thanks. Um, he didn't need to do anything for me. Right. Um, he does enough. He's, he's he exists enough. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You, um, you, you don't, so, you, you're too busy simping for Bob Dylan to simp for Edward Yang. There's this movie studio near the school um, in which Sausher likes to snoop around in the rafters of, and Ming eventually gets a role as like an extra, or is it a speaking part? I don't remember. Um, they they want her to do a screen test. She never right, gets the yeah, part. Yeah, right. The screen test. Um, but they're exploring the space at night, and she's like just um pacing from left to right, and then right to left across the frame, and Sausher is always pointing the flashlight just enough to like give her silhouette a illuminated outline. Um, and that's another really beautiful scene that stuck with me. You know what? This whole movie was too beautiful. The whole thing is stuck with me. You know what I mean? Like I almost, yeah. I almost want to actively try to forget this movie so that whenever I want to reminisce about it, I just have to watch it again. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's that's how like Edward Yang like he, he's just he's goaded man like yeah. he's really no he is no other he way is. to say it like, he really shit. is yeah even I, I even I won't deny it yeah mm. even well, the Hollywood Reporter knows bro that list right. that just dropped that yeah. shit was hilarious I love that list it's not that terrible I don't know it's not that terrible no it's it's got some like a lot of the stuff i was reading and i was like well i I haven't seen a lot of these so i can't really judge 
But then I was like, you know, okay, Bridesmaids, top 50 of the century so oh, far. Sure. Yeah. Then there about that. Zodiac, the fourth best movie of the century. Yeah. Zodiac might be the fourth worst movie of the century. No, <laughs> I'm just, but, um, you know, David Fincher and the Coen bros definitely don't need two appearances each. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. But, you know, Yee is the best movie of all time. So, yeah, of course, it's, it's the best movie of the century. <laughs> all right. Um. Shall yeah, we move was, on? Yeah, we shall. I almost want to make my own version of this list, though. My own top of the century so far. Yeah, maybe, then, I'll, you know, maybe I'll do the same little monkey monkey's errand. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter unless you're being paid by a magazine, huh? Yeah, but then we can just, like, compare them and um, make fun of each other. Yeah, and I'm sure you're also fine with that list because it has the Gleaners and I at number three. Yeah, that is based as <laughs> i oh saw that and i was God. i saw that and i was like damn dude really like uh that is I'll so tell, i mean that's it is pretty that's a base take for sure that is fucking awesome i love like it. the top five is just yee it just goes back and forth yee inside lewin davis the gleaners and i zodiac maholland drive like bro oh, yeah. what wow. that's funny yeah okay but yes one for, one for them one for us you know what i mean definitely definitely <laughs> Um, uh, the last movie. Honestly, you, I, I'm gonna try my best to give my little plot rundown. You want me to do it? I can do it. We can. We can. For the first time ever, break order. You're gonna fill in the gaps. I'm gonna. gonna I'm gonna come in and dunk in between. Be like, no, this happened, Grunkle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Grunkle, you're forgetting this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, Grunkle. Um, um, actually, Grunkle. It is Robin Williams, not Willem Dafoe, that plays Rotten Randy. Rainbow Randolph, you degenerate fuck. What's Sorry. his name again? Ruby Rando? His name is Burple Bimboff. No, it's Rudy Rainbow? Rained- Rainbow Randolph. Rainbow Randolph. Rainbow Randolph. <laughs> right, Rainbow Randolph. Rainbow, okay, so we watched the 2002... Film Death to Smoochie, directed by Danny DeVito. Don't um, need you say more. Right, I don't thank you because I I I'm gonna have a hard time with this one. There's that this uh this this was a late one of the late night watches. Um, I guess yeah, Nashville and Writer Summer Day. I didn't have any trouble recollecting those were daytime watches. I was fine for those, but this one was pretty late after my terrible Second City. I don't know why I went to that. Um, you were desperate to miss Survivor. Maybe that was it. Yeah, you were like, I would rather through suffer through four hours of Second City than one hour of right. Survivor for Ra- some reason. Rainbow. You're bad, you're, huh? I was used to say you're bad at math. But... Thank you. Yeah, Rambi Rando is the host of a children's show. Um, called Singing with Rainbow Randolph or something. Mm-hmm. And he uh, gets himself caught up in some sort of uh, scheme, some sort of money laundering scheme or something with the mob who's also connected to the executives of this uh, TV studio. Um, and once old rotten Randy gets... Booted Rainbow Randolph publicly and from 
his own TV show by the network and the criminal syndicate that they work with, they, for reasons of public, um, for, for PR reasons, they need to find somebody who's squeaky clean. Right, because he accepted, uh, he got busted for taking bribes to get kids on his show. Yeah, right, right. Bribes to get kids on the show, that's right. And uh-huh. so they need someone with a squeaky clean reputation that they can puppet master themselves um, to exploit the profit of families with children through, you know, products based on a children's uh, TV show host. And so they find this guy played by Edward Norton. Um, Smoochie is his persona. Sheldon Mopes. Sheldon Mopes. Sheldon Mopes. Um, He sings um, uplifting songs to recovering uh, meth addicts at a Coney Island rehab facility. He does it for uh, purely humanitarian reasons. You know, he's your typical uh, do good, uh, do do good doer, uh, but ignorant and naive in many ways. Um, He's vegan, and it's funny that he eats soy hot dogs. I do love the the soy. There's this. It's it's a comedy for sure. This movie. Um, no, this movie's not already. funny. It's not. Funny. And so after scouting out this, after Catherine Keener, who works for the big wigs at the TV studio, after she scouts out this smoochy character, this uh, Sheldon or whatever, um, he quickly finds himself as the host of Smoochie's Kid Time Radio Hour or something along those lines. Um, But what do you know, all of a sudden, there's like five villains after him and it's the criminal syndicate guy and it's the TV executive guy and it's uh, Randy Rainbow seeking revenge and um, to try to get his spot back in the limelight to get back his payday and his fame and his power and seemingly everybody is out to get smoochy he's being exploited he's being commanded to do things he doesn't agree with he's framed they frame him try to make it look like he's a nazi rainbow randolph how could you all while um smoochie is developing a romance with a typecasted bitter hard to get katherine keener oh she's so hard to get <laughs> god when will i get her <laughs> never never she's so typecast um as a ball you know the ball buster as they say or whatever i don't know yeah she she plays a very similar role to uh being john malkovich yeah you know, I think she's kind of just riding that type for sure. It's funny that she's Catherine Keener in um, in adaptation. That's her character. Oh, that she just plays herself. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And she's like smoking a joint with him at one point. I think, or no, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'm mixing something up. I should rewatch that. That's a great movie. Yeah. Um. Everybody's out to get Smoochie. They want to like bring yeah, everyone's out to get death Smoochie. to him or something. It's right, like... because pure pure altruism and joy cannot exist in this world without it being um without 
it being commodified and exploited and and seen as something to control or to use to the benefit of capitalizing yes um income and all that um but smoochie deep down is really in it for the children and in it for spreading love and not only does he get the girl in the end but he comes out on top and it's beautiful yes it's a beautiful um but how many times how many times have you seen this movie this was probably my 11th or 12th I watched this, this movie. A childhood favorite. Yeah, I watched this movie for the first time when I was like thirteen, probably. Oh, okay. um, yeah, definitely formative in terms That's of a great my age to watch this movie. Comedic honestly. taste, yeah, probably the the best age because then it you know you can see it for for what it really is. You know how how the evil world tries to, to take out a bright shining light and how right. you know. If you You're choose not... to shine brightly, they'll never put you out. But like even how like that has an idea within the world is like so ridiculous and so far-fetched and fantastical that it's worth making a movie about. It's just, I don't know. Right. And the, um, the concept of like these, these at times warring and, but yeah, both like exploited and put under the boot children's TV stars is where the film is at its best for me when it's sort of more about the world of the TV executives and the world of that, the, these fantastical Barney yeah. like TV Yeah. Like shows. what, what fantastic subject material right. and yeah. set production and costume design. And... But, but when it's Harvey Firestein, you know, or leading a, leading a children's charity, that's where you draw the line or the Irish mob when they get involved, you're like, why it just are they becomes here? too much for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that it was also, you know, kind of, bit city probably danny devito riding the matilda high just kind of you know doing whatever the fuck he wanted and he's yeah. you know kind of making this you know like it's it's almost a little like gritty almost in a way oh, like it's no, it is, it's so tongue-in-cheek but it's also yeah. just so dark and it has such a, well, a Burton, cynical Burton-esque. worldview Burton-esque? Tim Burton? No, yeah. come on. Just because there's a fisheye lens every close-up doesn't mean it's burton-esque it's, i think it's a little burton-esque you Just know what it's like this movie led i think this movie is in like, a good way in terms of like evolution it's like this movie and then cat in the hat you know what i mean it's like that's the oh, trajectory sure and even cat in the hat has got is burton-esque yeah well you know tim burton then modeled his career off of cat in the hat so i guess you could well, say well, this well is you could say death to, smoochie. death to smoochie is burton-esque it's proto-Burton-esque. In the good way. And mm-hmm. Cat in the Hat is Burton-esque in the bad way. Well, Cat in the Hat is, you know, maybe the second greatest movie ever made. With Death to Smoochie being that movie. the greatest I mean, that movie, movie is made. incredible when you're watching it. Yeah. No, I, I read recently that, um, you know that hoe joke they have in Cat yeah, in the Hat? Yeah, of course. Where he's like, you're a dirty hoe. And then he yes, like goes to course. lick it. Yeah. Yes. Well, that, that they only added that in because... Um, because they were worried that the they were worried that the movie was going to get a G rating, oh, wow. and they didn't want that, so they wanted to saw something in. Also, That's apparently, awesome. that movie is the reason that the Doctor Seuss estate has like shut down the rights. Yeah, good. <laughs> that should be the only movie that is allowed to be that good and that epic with Seuss material. 
Yeah, like it should, hit uh, pinnacle with the first with that one. Yeah, we should uh toss that on a movie month sometime. But yeah, yeah for I sure, mean, I'd love to. Death to Smoochie, though. Getting back to the the matter at yeah. hand, I think that it is just got some really brilliant comedy. It's got some really deeply fleshed out characters who have yeah. like interesting and unique motivations and backgrounds. Is yeah. kind of ridiculous as they are sometimes. Um, you know, I just think that Danny DeVito has just got a good head on his shoulders, man. That's just yeah. a good dude. And he's making a good movie that's both fun and entertaining and like it's, it's genuinely totally, funny. totally, completely critical of the industry that is propping it up. Yeah. You know, and then it also is just so pure of heart with, you know, like it's my favorite end credits of any movie ever, for sure. Oh, it's it's so the end credits are yeah, it's, oh, yeah. and Ray, Rainbow Randolph. Uh, yes, they, they've reconciled. They become towards the end of the movie. Yeah, um, of their of, own of the TV same. show. Yeah, yeah. And they're ice skating and dancing around. And they have the the you know the the billing scroll down in Comic Sans. It's beautiful. Oh yeah, the Comic Sans is awesome. Um. Ugh. Not as good as Rat Race's ending, which we also watched. Well, that was the, the ending, but not the credits. I said right, the credits right, specifically, right. the end credits. I w- I kind of wish we could talk, talk about Rat about Race, that we well, like, had to. Rat Race is a movie from 2001 where John Cleese tells Rowan Atkinson and a bunch of other strangers to go get some money, and they go on a wet, wacky madcap adventure, and it ends at a Smash Mouth concert. There you go. Yeah, it was epic. It's um, epic, yeah. Death to Smoochie, though, definitely more intentionally funny in a satisfying way mm-hmm. than Rat Race was. <laughs> um, yeah, Rat Race not all landing its jokes, necessarily. <laughs> yeah, but I, with Smoochie, other than being bogged down by excessive plot uh, in the starting in the sort of middle of the second act or the joe of the kwai the joe of the 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 joe ha q the joe, the joe of, the of the ha yeah no that's too early. The joe it's, of the it's, ha. it's it's more uh, it's more in the queue of the ha right yeah yeah the queue of the ha it's the post-nazi sequence yeah everything after that just um um gets too wrapped up in creating conflict um, and then needs to resolve all of these threads that it creates that a lot of them don't get the chance to be satisfying on their own. Sure. Um, and certain characters are just sort of dropped in and out seemingly on a whim, like John Stewart's character. Yeah, or, totally disappears. Sure. Yeah. And so yeah, when, it almost feels like there's like more to this movie that was, you know, maybe left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe we gotta get Danny DeVito in an AMA and be like, "Where's the smoochy director's cut?" Right. You know. But overall, a certainly a satisfying and entertaining watch. It's sort of almost exactly what you want out of your standard American entertainment movie from the time, but that has a, a biting message to be thrown in there to to root for. Definitely. And solid, solid performances and creative decisions. Yeah, definitely a movie that's like unique deep when enough. You're deep when you're 13, but then like camp when you're 25. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's brilliant for that. Like, God bless this movie. And like, 
On another thing that I think that we haven't super touched on was um his, the the performances in this movie are just fantastic. Like everybody is giving in this movie. Like Ed Norton, Robert Will- Robin Williams, you know, are both Roger off- Altman. Roger Altman, Randolph Bernito, um, Jimmy Chungus, Harvey Firestein shows up at one point, you know. Everybody's Harvey Firestein. Yeah. They're oh. living. They're eating. They are getting their bag, if you would speak. Um, Jesus Christ, the Zoom meeting ends in a minute twenty. Uh oh my goodness. Wrap ups. Oh also Death to Smoochie from last week. It's just Josie and the Pussycats. It's the same movie. It's the same story. Mm, no, it's it's about how one man defeats the system from the inside, not how. Yeah, but Josie... it's like previous star exploited and outcast, and new star comes in with good heart and continues to be exploited and outcast, only for original artists to come back at end. You know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, this uh, does this. Which one came first? Huh? That's that's the real movie. Mishimashi. Mishima came first. Yeah, Mishima definitely came first. Next week we are watching some movies. Young girls of Rochefort. We're gonna watch the Young Girls of Rochefort. Silence. We are watching Silence, and we're watching The Handmaiden. Oh right. Oh cool. That's gonna be a. That's gonna be a movies. That's going to be a good week, I think. Yeah, it's going to be some some good movies. We had so much fun last week with our second guest. Yeah, thanks again, Sophie. Um, 